0: Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms and to listen to our messages again, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service. You don't understand understand at my house, my wife's like, move it yourself. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for doing that, ladies. Thank you for doing that. Good morning, everybody. Got a good word for us here, and God's going to speak to us in the most unlikely way, in the most unlikely manner, in the most unlikely place. I want to take you for a journey, thousands of miles, and thousands of years, and thousands of degrees in culture to the world of Jesus, to a moment not only of his, but also one that every single one of us will face, a testing in the wilderness. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you that you are good and that not everything that happens is good, that this world is, is filled with sin and it's filled with evil and disease and sickness, but you promise that you work everything together for good, for those who love you and are called according to his purpose. So Lord, help us to know the way of the Lord in the wilderness today through your word and the example that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You are looking at the wilderness of Judea. Probably, uh, actually, on Valentine's Day, there's a group of us that will be flying out to the Holy Land where we'll be there for uh, 10 days, and we will be walking through the footsteps of Jesus. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, There's no substitute. How many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Just wave your hand real quick. It's almost like having to describe the Grand Canyon to somebody. How do you do that? You it's it when you see it, it's like, hey Alex. Hey wait, hold on a second. I want to bless you with the water real quick. No, no, thank you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. A toast to Alex. (laughs) 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 Thank you. I just realized I'm talking about the wilderness and somebody brought me water. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually funny. I don't know if it was intentional, but let me start with this verse and then we'll pray. Luke four thirteen, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Let me read it again. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Lord, guide us again. Lord, we just pray in your name. Amen. (laughs) The wilderness is an interesting thing. I've never seen a more diverse country than the land of Israel. It's about the size of New Jersey, but it's got all of the diversity of America squeezed into this tiny little place. You can literally put your left foot on grass in Jerusalem and your right foot on the beginning part of this desert and see the line that's right there. And what's amazing is, is we get as much rain in Jerusalem as we do in New York or Boston, but then all of a sudden the clouds just jump over and they only give about two to four inches a year in this other spot. So it's the weirdest thing you'd ever see. It's like, it's like, why is this desert next to Boston. It just doesn't make sense, but it's just the way it is. And, and in this place, this is where God led Jesus. Now, the wilderness is, there are a couple of themes throughout scripture that are happening here in this passage. And I, and I actually think it would, it would benefit us for, for me to read the full passage here in Luke chapter 4. Now, you can listen along or you could read along, but let me give it to you. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan was led by the Spirit. You can't move forward without acknowledging something. It was Jesus that led, that it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. Say this with me out loud. God will lead me into wilderness. God will lead me into wilderness. Repeat after me class. Say it with firm conviction. My God, My God. will lead me. Into the wilderness. wilderness. You can't get past that. You see, if your Christianity thinks that God causes everywhere you to walk to turn into uh, Bermuda, Bahama, and everything is puppies and Skittles and rainbows and awesome, you will miss the path and you'll fail the test of the wilderness. God leads you into wilderness. I hear it all the time, you know, where people spiritually they're like, "I'm just dry." It's kind of like Napoleon Dynamite, just dry. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good, Napoleon Dynamite. It's, just, I'm parched. God's not talking to me. I don't feel God's presence like I used to, and that's because you're in the wilderness. God leads us into the wilderness. What God doesn't do is tempt us in the wilderness, and that's an important thing for us to acknowledge too. Because James chapter 113 says that no one, when he is tempted, uh, can say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, talking about God the Father, and He Himself tempts no one with evil. God doesn't tempt people, He tests people. There's a difference. See, God tests you, and that word literally means to apply a standard, a test, pressure to see what something or someone is truly made of. God will allow me to go through difficult situations not because he's trying to give me a difficult time, but because he's trying to expose me to myself because I am only as strong as my weakest moment. And there are wildernesses in life and God wants to bring us through it. But you see, when it comes to temptation, that same word that's used here in the Greek language also means to entice to do wrong by offering benefits. So it's kind of funny that in one sense, the same thing that God does in that he tests us to show and to prove who we are, the enemy can just ruin it by tainting it, and yet he'll test you for the purposes to entice you to do wrong by offering you false benefits, we should say. You ever go to like, imagine if you went and you got hired for a new job, and they're like, we're gonna give you benefits. And you're like, all righty. We're gonna match your 401k, that's great. We're gonna give you health insurance. Need it, that's why I'm here. And then all of a sudden you go to the hospital and then you come home and then you get this like $500,000 bill and you're like, what's going on? You're like, I thought I had benefits, you betcha. We just didn't file him. We didn't want to pay him. That makes no sense, right? That's kind of what the devil does, is he promises what he can't deliver on. But he brings us into this place called the wilderness. And you can't escape the first few chapters of the Old Testament without seeing this theme of the wilderness. Not only of wilderness as a place of testing and proving and refining, but also this idea of, Being tempted in the wilderness, being tested in the wilderness, and seeing this whole idea of 40 in different ways. 40 seems to be, for some reason, the number of testing. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know the background to that. I can't really fully tell you that. But for some reason, over and over again, you see 40 as the number of testing. And all of you that are at the age of 40 said midlife crisis is real. I was looking to see if anyone raised their hand. You were smarter than I thought. All right. So, 40 days and nights, Noah's in an ark. For 40 years, Abraham or Moses is stripped of all princely power and is tending sheep in the middle of nowhere in obscurity. For 40 years, God leads the children of Israel through the wilderness. And for 40 days, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where the devil... Tempts him. God is trying to prove him, show him the quality of who he is. The devil is trying to destroy him and destroy the plan that God has for his life. There's a way of the Lord in the wilderness. You, your God, will lead you into the wilderness. Don't be surprised if you have a season when you pray and you hear nothing, when everybody is lifting their hands and tears are pouring down their face and you feel like toast. When Everybody's hearing of answers to prayer and problems going away and water's parting and everything's great. And it seems like your problems are multiplying. The heat gets hotter. And you're saying, Why are you letting this happen to me, God? God led you into that wilderness because there are lessons that you and I can only learn about God when it's dry, when it's dusty and when he seems distant. But that's a place where the devil will take advantage of. And that's exactly what I did here with Jesus. He, he comes in and he shows up and he, and he says, I'm, I'm going to totally take advantage of, of this moment. And here's the thing that I love about our Lord, what I love about Jesus. God is not some distant God or some kind of like moral uh, ascent that I reach like Buddha or Nirvana. He's not some distant God, you know, with lightning bolts throwing him down at me that literally God said, I need to save my people and so I will go and be with my people and help them. He inserted himself into the problem. And he took on flesh. And John chapter 114 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's talking about Jesus, this this one who's headed into the wilderness. And, And while I always look at this story and I instantly feel like it's spoiled because Jesus is going to go into the wilderness. And I've read this a few times and I know, well, he's God and he's going to get tempted, but he can't fail because he's going to go in there and he's going to, he's going to make all the right decisions, right? He's going to say no to all the right things and yes to all the right things, of course, because he's God, right? But we get so focused on the divinity of Jesus that we miss the humanity of Jesus and the great lessons of why he became like us, so that he could look you and I in the face and say, I totally get what it's like to be so upset with somebody, I wanna smack them. It's called Peter. <laughs> I totally understand what it's like to be stabbed in the back. That's called Judas. I totally understand what it's like that no matter how well I explain it, no matter how many times I show it, people just seem to not take me at my word. That's called Thomas. You see, in his human aspect of who he is, he gets the life that we lived. And the only way that he could save us would be that he could look you and me in the face and say, I understand. Because of course, you know, if he's just God, then he's gonna do it. This is the part that really strikes me about Jesus is that it says that he's the lamb who was slain, that the holes of the nails and the wound in his side, while you and I will be restored, while we'll be blessed by God for all eternity, he's chosen intentionally to never let those wounds go away. Because when you look at your life and the hurt that's been inflicted on you or the hurt that you've inflicted on yourself, Jesus can hold up his hand and say, I totally get it. And he can look at you and I today, depending on however you feel like you're doing in your wilderness, whether you feel like you're a failure and that you're nothing that you ought to be, that you are, are just so discouraged with the, the the bad choices that you've made or the distance that you feel that's between you and God, Jesus can look at you and say, I totally get it. And it says it in Hebrews chapter 4, verses, verse 13, where it says this, for we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. See, if I'm gonna look at Jesus as God, I also have to look at him as man. And this is the part that I can't identify with God. I can't make the heavens and the earth, but I can totally understand what it's like to be made to feel excluded, to be made to feel hurt, to be made to feel whatever, And so Jesus looks into your life this morning and he says, I know what it's like to be old and feel alone. I know what it's like to be young and overlooked. I get what it's like to be in your middle years and feel stuck. I know what it's like to walk through the wilderness and I can look at you and say, if I can make it, you can take it. Because if he can do it, we can do it. I love how a New Testament scholar, Daryl Bach, is probably one of the great Luke scholars. He's got a book, two books actually, that probably stand this high. Yes, I've read them, it's disgusting, I know. Um, but he also is so practical that he wrote a tiny book on Luke from a great commentary series called the NIV Application Bible. He talks about all the background stuff, but then he says, so what does this mean for people like you and me? And at one point he said this, he said, if the whole temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, basically what does that mean for us is that if I'm to grow spiritually, I can expect trials. If I'm to grow spiritually, I need to look to God in the middle of those trials. The main issue is not my trial. It's how I respond to the situation. (laughs) I'm not one to lose it in a fit of rage, but you can lose it introvertedly in different ways. Um, You can totally take things into your own hands. And that's the first temptation that the Satan tries to get Jesus with. Look at this with me here. Luke chapter four, coming back to the text here. The way of the Lord in the wilderness for our lives through Jesus. chapter, Chapter four, two and three says this. It says that he ate nothing during those days, 40 days. When his days of fasting were ended, he was hungry. No kidding, huh? 40 days, no food. That's what we call Betty White hangry. I really was so sad about that, by the way, her passing. You need to to look at best Betty White moments and just watch to see who this lady was. She was hilarious. She was great. Anyway, I don't know why we're talking about Betty White. Back to Jesus, okay? So back to Jesus. Oh, well, here we go. The devil. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. So here's the interesting part. He's already fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Check. It's completed. You and I can look at moments in our life where we check the box, we finish the race, we complete Completed the task, we passed the test, and still the devil can come in on the back end and totally, with one swipe, get you to destroy all that you did, all on your own. I hate that about myself, and that's the interesting thing about Satan when he when he tempts Je- when he tries to tempt Jesus when he tempted. Adam and Eve, when he tempted man in the garden, he didn't, he didn't get, you can't say the devil made me do it. What he said was, look at that tree. Yeah, looks pretty good. Yeah. Um, God's hiding something from you. You can have a better life because if you eat that, it's the knowledge of good and evil. And when you eat that, your eyes will be opened. There isn't a single lie about what he said. The fruit was good. It was awesome. And when they would eat it, they would open their eyes. But there was a reason why God wanted them innocent and blind. But like all of us, we foolishly pluck from the tree. And here, Satan turns to him and says, hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you just turn the stones to bread? Now, this is kind of a weird temptation because it's like, first of all, He's already finished his fasting, so he could technically do it, right? Like, he's not breaking his fast. And by the way, we we have a month here of fasting and prayer where people are, some people are not eating for 20 days, in some cases, people praying. The important thing, I would rather you pray than you try to fast. Like, we're not trying to diet, but, like, you should take a meal. The best meal to push off the plate is dinner because... You, you you can you can lose weight that way. How's that sound? But but like it doesn't mean anything if you're just not eating, but you're not replacing that with communion in the presence of God. And and he says to and by the way, if you're trying to fast and you eat and you break that fast, there's nothing wrong with that. You're you're learning how to grow in those kind of things. But but here's what's here's what's happened. Jesus is done and he's all set. And the devil's like, hey, turn those stones into bread. Now here's the cool thing about it jesus could have probably done it Schwing. if i was the son of god i would have turned it into the different breads at subway i'd have been like italian herb and cheese Schwing. whole wheat no <laughs> you know I, I would have been like i would i'd had all capita we'd had all kinds of french bread hot italian bread i mean like but what, what's really going on here? Like, How is that a temptation, and why is Jesus going to do it, and why is, what's the lesson for you and me? Well, if you read this, the verse right before this chapter, it's the genealogy of Jesus in Luke, and it ends by saying, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. You see, not only is Jesus the son of God, but God has given every single one of us to have the privilege to be his sons and his daughters, to be Children of God, Most High, but He also, as a Father, has a standard for our lives and a path for our lives. And in order for us to realize what God has for us, He wants us to walk in that way. And sometimes, when it goes into the wilderness, that's an easy opportunity for the devil to distract us and to 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 misguide us. And here's what's happening: is is the devil saying, "Hey, use your own power to make the outcome that you want." You're hungry. You're God you can do it. Turn the stones into bread. There wouldn't have been anything per se wrong about that unless you understand the background. Israel's wandering the wilderness for 40 years. They say, Oh my goodness, how are we gonna eat? God says, don't worry, I'll provide it for you. God provides manna for them. He provides bread in the wilderness. That's what the table of showbread is all about, to never forget that God can supernaturally provide for you in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of desert. And some of you need to hear this this morning. God can spread a table for you in total nothing. He can provide for you But the problem here was that Jesus was being tempted to use his own strength and his own power to provide and solve the problem instead of trusting God. That's what Israel's problem was. In fact, Israel said it like this. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? And some of us going into difficult situations, into wilderness settings, into difficult times, we look at it and we're like, yeah, yeah, but is God really gonna bail us out? Is God really going to help us? Can Can God really, really do it? And the devil, what he does is one of two things. He either gets you to doubt God's ability to provide and be good to you and be faithful to you, or, he will get you to become an egotistical maniac that will say, get out of the way, I can solve this problem. Zing, bing, bam, boom. How many of you identify with that second one a little bit more than the first? Thank you for your honesty, Abby. Right? So I'm with you on this. Like, here's the truth, is at the end of the day, like, I'm kind of like, God can do it if it doesn't happen, it's not there. But when the heat's on, I just step in and I say, I'm not here to take sides, I'm here to take over. So this week... Please pray for my family. My father is in hospice uh, or in the process of hospice. I've got a red band on. You'll see this on me all the way up until Israel because I want to go there, And but I also don't want to bring COVID to my father. So please don't come up to me and be like, I love you, you know, and like you Petri dish. Beck, these are like Wonder Woman things. So uh, this past week has been a very, very rough week. My father should have been in hospice, hospice like 10 years ago and he's very stubborn, fortunately my brother is more stubborn than him, and he's in the hospital right now, my wife is down there, and she's watching my mom because my mom has dementia, and so she can't be left alone, and my father has been in this excruciating pain, but yet he, he won't treat it. So, so I finally say that's it, he need, he's gone to the hospital three times, they've, they've done CAT scans, they've done X-rays, But they don't have an MRI in the hospital he's been in. And he, and at the end of the day, even if they find anything, they really, he wouldn't survive the surgery. So they, they, we had to get him to a point where we're able to say, let's take the pain out of the way. So I'll be leaving service to go down there afterwards. And, uh, when my father went into hospital, I'm like, I'm not going through this. I'm totally, taking charge of the situation so i walk in and i i get in touch with my father's doctor and they are amazing the reason why you need to go to a doctor is there needs to be somebody who knows your medical and your personal history when you go into the hospital my wife has three broken bones that have mended wrong because she's got such a high tolerance to pain and such an evasion to doctors that she's like the doctors look at her and they're like oh my goodness like we could reset it but you know I'm serious, like she's like a beast, right? So I never get a sick day at my house. My my wife's like, suck it up, be a man, go to work. You know, in the meantime, my dad is like at death's door, and he's like, "I'm fine. I don't need any pain medication." You know, it's like crazy. So I walk in and I say, "Enough is enough. I can't take this anymore." I walk into my father's doctor and I say, "Listen, you know he needs to be on hospice. I, I love my dad. He's my hero. I don't want to see him suffering. I don't want him to die, but I also want him to be comfortable. He needs an MRI. He, he, you know, he just needs to know what this is. I know that he can't have the surgery. We need to put it to rest." so, hit that doctor's office was like, "Okay, yeah, Mr. Kama, you." got it. They're, they're great. So then he says, I'll call the hospital. So the doctor calls the hospital. You know what I do? I walk to the hospital. I walk in. I know it's COVID, but it doesn't matter. The rules don't apply to me. I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. I'm walking into the, the ER. I see security guy, and I'm like, how you doing? Good, doing a great job. Thank you very much. I'm walking around. And I'm Now I'm right on the edge where my father's room is, and I realize like something grabs me and says, if I walk in there and try to talk to the doctor, I'll have no effect. So how will I manipulate the situation? Yes, I use the word manipulation. And so I stopped, and I said, okay. And I walked out. And I went into the main entrance to the emergency room. Hi. You know, meanwhile, I've like violated every single protocol in the building. Uh, yes, hi, this is Dr. Conway. I need to speak to my father, the lead physician in the ER, you know, the over, who's overseeing his case, he comes out. And, you know, I mean... He's looking at me and I'm, I'm like, my dad keeps calling up and saying he's going to leave. That's what my dad keeps trying to do. And they're like, uh, no, I don't feel comfortable. His, his hemoglobin level is like way low. He's got unbearable pain. Uh, you know, okay. So now I know my dad's trying to be in charge. So, so we, I say to him, I say, you know, I know that you don't have an internal medicine expert in this hospital and nor do you have an MRI. I think we need to ship him to Danbury Hospital. Don't you think that would be a good idea? And the doctor's like, yeah, you know, I was thinking of doing that. And I'm like, yeah, we need to do that. We need to process, you need to fill out some paperwork, but who would you need to correspond with that? And, you know, so, so I'm getting this doctor, like moving along. And then they finally get, they get to a point where he's about to go there and they're like, we can't find a bed. And we're thinking of sending him home. I get back in there. I'm working the situation. Finally, they send him to Danbury Hospital. Now you gotta understand, I'm not, I'm not rude. I'm just really direct, and I'm, I'm very factual, but I show up at that hospital, and I'm trying to get to talk to the doctor, and they say, oh, hi, Mr. Conway. They know who I am now. <laughs> I try to talk to the doctor, firewalled. I try to visit my father. They say, you need to come back in three hours. I'm like, They find my brother's phone number and then they say, Mr. Conway, once we speak to one of the siblings, that's all we need, you know, so we'll be communicating directly with your brother from here forward. You know what that was? That was me turning stones into bread. I'm taking over. That's what the devil was trying to do. And that's what he tries to do to us is to get you off of the path that God has for you, the peace that God has for you, the place that God's trying to get you to. But then you get in there and you think, I am strong enough and I am smart enough and I am resourceful enough and I am able enough to make it happen that you're so focused on taking care of the problem that you don't realize that you've lost and left the path. that temptation that you experience in your wilderness experience will do everything you can to get yourself out of that desert. And God is saying, I led you by my spirit into this place And there is a lesson for us in the wilderness. And that's what Jesus is trying to show us here is that you can go into the wilderness and you don't have to change the wilderness. You can embrace the experience. Israel says, God can't spread a table for us in the wilderness. David says it like this. Not only can God prepare a table for me in the wilderness, but he can prepare me a table before the presence of my enemies. And what this whole test of Jesus is, are you going to really trust God sovereignly in your life and allow him to be Lord of it? Or are you gonna so manhandle your choices and your life that you're not gonna consult his word, that you're not gonna consult his input, you're not gonna look for the leading of the spirit, but you're gonna always look for the leaning of the circumstances and the destination that you think you should be in. God leads us into difficult spaces. You might be here or you might be watching online and you might be in a very difficult spot and everything inside of you is saying, oh God, get me out of here. And God says, get you out of here. I've been waiting so long to get you in here so that I can get that stuff out of you to make more room for my presence in your life. If you'll just trust God in the wilderness. The first temptations question is, can God really provide and care for me? If the influence, power, Or blessing requires you to step in a way that is not in alignment with God's word, you're probably in the place of the wilderness, but off the path of God in the wilderness. If you, now, what I have to say, and this is important for some of you that are similar to my disposition, I'm not saying that God can't use us to make things happen. I'm also not saying that God won't use your resourcefulness and ability, but there comes a point where it can be sinful and it can be an obstruction to the trust and leading of the Holy Spirit, where people like me really need more of that and less of me taking charge of a situation. I'm saying if you have to do the wrong thing to make the right thing happen, it's probably Satan offering you a tempt and a choice that you need to break from. If you have to, let me just give you some practical lessons, right? Like, I believe that God can make any relationship work, but if you're in the beginning part of a relationship and you have to sleep with that person in order to keep that person, you're probably in the wilderness in the right place, but you have gone off of the right path and you need to find your way back. You're being tested and tempted, you're trying to get the right thing the wrong way, You're being tempted by sin and God has a path for you in that place, but not that way in that space. If you enter into something knowing that you'll have to break from your ethics to accomplish your outcome, you're on the wrong path and your heart's desiring the right thing, but you're being tested, you're being tempted, you're trying to get the right thing the wrong way, you're being tempted in the wilderness and you need to change how you're going about it. I often thought, what would it have been like if you, it, sometimes we used to retell the stories of the Bible to our kids, like, and change the ending. Like, Jesus, the centurion, went to ask for, you know, we would take a parable, and we would just completely change the outcome. Like, the good son, he decided he'd never go back. His father went looking for him, and he's like, get away from me. I want nothing to do with you. Imagine if Jesus, if we twisted the story here, and instead of Instead of doing what he did, Jesus chose that he would turn the the stones into bread. And then one day he's at in Samaria at a well, and there's a woman that goes down to the well to get water, a woman who's on husband number five, and all of a sudden she's there because she's she's the scorn of the neighborhood, and Jesus can't say to her, you know, you don't have to give me water. I've got water that can. You can drink. What happened, let me explain this because I always assume like people in a wrong way understand the story. But there's this one point where Jesus goes through Samaria, the the neighboring enemies of the Israelites and there's a woman at a well. She's there at noon time in the middle of the day. You don't go there. It's so hot in Israel in the summer. You don't go there at noon unless you totally don't want to be seen by anyone because it's hot. And this woman's down at the well and Jesus is there. And he he uh, he she offers him some water and he said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water and I'd give it to you. I'd give you eternal water. But imagine if Jesus turned the stone to bread, he couldn't have had a conversation about water. He probably would have been a bread salesman because he left the path and he didn't follow the place. And you see, When we think of Jesus, we think, well, of course he's gonna make the right decisions, but what about us? What about us as sons and daughters of God? What about the wrong choices that we've made? Does that mean that we're washed out and washed up? Absolutely not. Because while you're in the right place in the wilderness and you might be, be not on the right path that God has for you in the midst of it, it's never too late for you to get on the path that God has for your life. It's never too late for you to change the tempt, to get out of The cycle. You know, it's amazing. And you'll see this for those of you going to Israel. The, the, the paths in the goat and the sheep paths, you'll see them all over the place. They're, they're, the shepherds take them up on angles and stuff, but all around, there's tons of these circular paths all the way around the mountain. And what'll happen is, is a sheep will stray away in the wilderness. They'll get on one of those paths and they'll start walking in circles and they think that they're going somewhere, but they're not that smart and they walk and they walk, and they continue that circle until finally they end up dying of thirst and not realizing that they were on one path, it was the wrong path, and all it led was in circles. It's not uncommon to see a dead goat or a dead sheep on one of those paths because They're designed to, they're just nature's way of how they're designed, and they just go in circles and they go in circles. It's never too late for you to get off the circular path of sin. It's never too late for you to stop trying to make the things of God happen through the wrath of man. It's never too late for you to take the chip off of your shoulder and the stone out of your heart and soften it and yield to God and say, God, please. Don't come here to take sides, just take over my life. I surrender it to you. Whatever I need to do, if I need to go hungry for a while, I'll do it. If I need to follow through the dryness of it, I'll do it. I just want your will, I want your path. And the devil comes in and he just tries to destroy that. But Jesus was smart. He resisted him. He replies to him and he says this, he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the father. Do you, listen, there are a lot of different people in a lot of different places in their walk with Jesus right now in this place. Do you really love God so much you love him more than the next meal? That's what love for Jesus looks like. Do you love God more than the next gift certificate to that place where you got to that like if all of a sudden God is prompting your heart and says, I wanna to speak to you, I wanna soften you, I've been rough on the edges, and you're ready to get up and go out and God, God's drawn you and saying, don't do that. Just spend some time with me. Are you going through life and you're spending no time with God? Are you going through life and Jesus, you know what he says? He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. You know what? You can't say it is written if you haven't read it. Are you in God's word? Do you love God's bread more than man's bread? That's what love for God looks like. And that, listen, that is a gift from God. Hunger for God is a gift from God. And in Song of Solomon, it says this, draw me that I might run after you. I often find in my dry wilderness experiences, I'm saying, oh God, please draw me. Draw me that I become so infatuated with you again, that I am chasing you and pursuing you. Some of us need that in our life. But in this wilderness, another temptation shows up. It says this, it says, the devil took him and showed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I don't know what that looks like, but I have my idea. A lot of people, when you're in Israel, they'll talk about, well, he took him on top of Mount Hermon, which is the largest mountain in Israel. Well, you can be on top of Mount Everest and still not see all of the kingdoms of the world. I think that this was a display of power. It was a maybe it was a vision. I don't I don't know what it'd look like because I haven't had that kind of thing. But he probably showed him Jerusalem, and if you could keep this on on going through. The sh- to the people streaming and just show them this real quick. The devil probably showed him Jerusalem and said, this is what it's all about. This is the jewel. This is gonna be the center of the world. This is what you want. I've got this world in my hand. I'm in charge of people and power. And if you come through me, I am quite the broker, Jesus. I can make it happen. Not only that, I can give you Babylon. Those people that you were enslaved to, the Egyptians, I can totally make that. You know what? He might've looked into the future and said, what, you're not interested in power? You don't want that, how about influence? There's a group of people that are gonna walk the face of the earth, that are gonna take the message of your son and your father, of you and your father, and turn it into a religion, and there'll be as many as a million people on any given day walking around this thing called Mecca that will be devoted to a religion called Islam, and I can totally, I have influence and power over that. I can make it so that you could have a platform and a stage and a voice into this and save them. I I have a group of people that are going to be given to a religion of Buddhism and, and mysticism, and, and, and Eastern mysticism, and I, I'll totally give you influence over the billions of people like that. What? You're not looking for influence? I know you love to get away with your disciples once in a while. There's this place called Sandals. <laughs> right? I know the owner personally. You took him up to a mountain? You have never seen anything until you've seen the Matterhorn? What? You like getting away and sitting in a quiet place with the disciples and being refreshed. Oh, Jesus, I could totally do that. It's all in my power. It's all in my control. I could do that. What, you're not moved? Well, there's a guy in history that's going to rise up named Adolf Hitler that's going to kill over six and a half million of your people, just like Pharaoh did before, except way more. I could totally give you influence and power. He's going to rev up the world. I could totally make him answerable to you. There's a place called Africa and there's a man named Joseph who's going to rise up to power and he's going to turn children into warriors and soldiers where they're going to die before their life's begun. Heck, you think Hitler's bad? There's a guy called Stalin and a man called Lenin. They're going to rise up and start a movement called communism. You think that Hitler was bad? Joseph Stalin was responsible for the death of 20 million of his own people. Hitler doesn't even come close to touching him and yet we made him an ally And we look around and we hear wars and rumors of wars. Jesus, you could have influence over that. You could have influence over the great cities, the great stock markets, the gold standard, the stock market, precious jewels. That doesn't move you. Let's come back to the heart issues. Jesus, there's gonna be sickness and disease that's gonna wither people away. It's gonna be Ebola that's gonna sweep through the world. And they'll all come together at this place called the UN. I could give you a platform and a voice there. I could give you a platform and a voice in parliament in England, in the capital in America, in the Kremlin in Russia, in the White House. Oh, wait until you see technology. It's going to take off with artificial intelligence and you're going to be able to accomplish so much. You're going to feel so important and so powerful. Jesus, all of this is mine and they've been given to me for me to hand to whomever I want. I wanna give it to you. I wanna help you. You know, it's so amazing how Satan, in different times in my life, has spoken like that. And you just are almost like, yeah, no, that makes sense. If you need to broker anywhere but this way for influence and power and significance. You may be in the right place called the wilderness, but you may have been tempted off of the path of the way of the Lord in the wilderness. God's calling you back. See, the wilderness comes down to one simple lesson. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Do you really, really trust him And again, I say this, that I'm not saying that God doesn't use us to be go-getters and to get doing things, but it's so easy to get lost in it. And the devil just comes down and says, oh man, I'll give it all to you, Jesus, all authority. It's all mine. I love how William Barclay said, he said, this is the temptation of compromise. The devil said, I've got people in my grip. Don't set your standards too high, Jesus. Strike a bargain. Just compromise a little bit with evil people, to get a good thing to happen. And back came Jesus' answer. He said, God's right. God is God. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. And there can be no compromise in the war on evil. He looks at him and he says, no, Satan, it is written, worship the Lord and him only shall you serve. It's amazing, the half-truths that are whole lies. How do you know that you've kind of given over your world to something else other than God, I'll tell you, you can measure it. You see, you can't can't manage anything that you can't measure, but you can measure it by asking yourself, what do I give my time? What do I offer my talents? And where do I direct my treasure to? Because whatever you give your time, your talent, and your treasure to, that is your God. And sometimes... It's not like, you know, everybody's always so worried about Satanists, right? I remember we were in Philadelphia once, and this guy came out, and he was a Satanist, and he's like, we're Satanist church right over there. I'm like, okay, cool, we're doing outreach, and they're like, we're praying against you. And I'm like, all right, cool. Uh, My friend goes, do you like Italian grinders? And he's like, he goes, well, we're going to get something to eat. Do you want to come get a bite to eat with us? And we did lunch with the Satanist. Like, it's not like all of the path. It's, it's like, it's got to be real evil to be evil, right? To, for it to be like bowing to Satan. Do you know your family can be an idol? You could make your family so much an idol that your neighbor right next to you would benefit way more in the immediate present than your kids or your family would in the future. Sometimes it's other things. Sometimes we're our own idol. Maybe your family needs you right now more than other stuff. I, mean, there's, there, I don't want to break it down or, or, or tag it because it's easy to get lost here, but Jesus said, worship the Lord and him alone shall you serve. And, and the crazy part of this is that Revelation sets it straight. It says the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. And Revelation 12:12 12, 12 says that the devil's gone down to the earth filled with fury because he knows he has a short time. Yes, listen, I hate to say it. This might sound kind of weird to you, but God is not in control of this earth. Sin is in control of this earth. Satan is in control of this earth. Carnality and people are in charge of this earth, but God's spirit dwells within us and greater is he that's with us than he that's in the world. And we are called to, to, don't clap so much because it's not an easy walk. You are called to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth by the way that you conduct yourself. We are in the wilderness. We're in the wilderness. I always do that, right? Don't clap. Sorry. For those of you that were clapping, by the way, let's just, thank you so much. Pastor Paul, you're so smart. You're so witty. Boas, why don't you come on up? And uh, the last one here, I want you to see this as he comes forward here and we, we call it closed. The last temptation is, is almost a weird one unless you know and you've been to Jerusalem and you've studied the history in, the, in this way. And you guys will know it, you'll have the secret. No, no Bible college education, you'll have it. It says that Satan took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. He's very specific. He takes him to a place called the pinnacle. And then he says, If you throw yourself down from here, this place, then he says that angels will swoop down for it is written in the book of Psalms. He will not let your foot dash against the stone, but he will give his angels charge over you and your foot will not strike a rock. And I always try to picture that because I don't know about you, but I've been cursed by the Renaissance that whenever I think about angels, I think about little babies flying around in need of diapers, right? And they're just like, you know, like, That would not be a cool rescue, man. I'd just be like, just let me fall. (laughs) Just don't come to my rescue. (laughs) Save me the embarrassment, you know. But angels, so big they shouldn't fit in a room, but they do. So bright you shouldn't be able to stare at them, but you can. Well, in Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem at the temple, there's a place that we know of called the pinnacle, and there, On top of that place was a spot they called the place of trumpeting. In fact, we have the inscription of what went there. And what would happen is, is just like the call of prayer in Islam, but three times a day they would do the, the place of trumpeting where they would blow the trumpet and everyone would pause and they would look towards the temple. See, the temple looks towards the east, God himself from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, his name is to be praised. Every synagogue the opening of the synagogue around the world points to Jerusalem, to the temple, but the temple looks to the east. And on that corner of the pinnacle, whenever you'd be at that time, morning, noon or night, someone would go and, and blow the trumpet and it would be like the call of Gondor. People would stop and they would pause and they would pray and they would say the Shema and the, the, the prayer hero Israel, the Lord is one, you love him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And you know, they, they would pause and do this but every eye would turn towards that place. And what Satan is saying here in this place, Jesus, this is your chance. Show them who you are. In other words, if they knew who you were and we create the right atmosphere and you impress them enough, oh, they'll follow you. I'm afraid to say that it took me about 48 years of my life to finally get off of this drug called impressing people. Oh, if I, I, it's amazing. In fact, um, believe it or not, my my degrees are not on my wall in my office, they're in my father's house because they mean more to him than they do to me in that sense. He's proud of me for that. I'd rather have him look at those things all the time and smile than me have them on my office. Oh, oh, you're a doctor. Oh, you went here, you did this, you did that. And see, see, We go through life and we get so impressed by other people, but we're not called to impress, we're called to bless. If you have an ability or a talent or a skill or an accomplishment that exists for the purpose of you not only earning a living, but also in humility to be a blessing to other people. And if you walk around and you're you're focused on all of that other stuff, but you're not focused on people, you may be in the right place called the wilderness, but you may have just wandered off of the path and have been tempted to put your attention in that spot that says, if I just impress, See, if I didn't have to care about what you thought of me and I didn't have to think about what you care about, the music and and all this stuff, church would be a lot more easier for me to do it. If I didn't have to worry about like, you know what? If you please give to the church, you know, and we can really help the poor and, you know, what do I need to do to to have you walk in obedience to God? If If I cared about that or whatever, if I didn't have to think of that kind of stuff, my goodness, the good that God's kingdom could do through this church. But so many of you are holdouts from God's path, God's purpose for your life, just kind of holding out. And my, my question for you is this, why? Why are you trying? Why are you trying to impress everybody? Why are you trying to live for anybody except an audience of one? It's so much easier. You know, many of us, we have different ways of responding to it. We become really shy and hurt and introverted and we withdraw from everybody. I just don't want to impress them or we become really strong and bravado and we're just like, I don't care what you think. Of course we care what people think. But God's engineered us to only care about what one person thinks and that's him. And if you live your life to bless and to walk the path of God and not worry about the opinions of men, you'll you'll bring heaven into the wilderness. You'll change a life. You'll, You'll... cause someone's loneliness to dissipate because you'll be less consumed with the next thing you're out to do and you'll be more consumed with trying to to bring hope and help to somebody's world. You'd, You'd stop criticizing your spouse and start carrying them and caring for them. And the short way through the side road of sensation is a dead end. When you don't continue to deliver signs and wonders for people and suggest that a cross is what really this is about instead of a crowd, people abandon you for the next sensation that comes along. And it might be more impressive, but you might be on in the right place, but you've missed and wandered from the path that God has for you. See, it comes down to this one thing, and I, I close with this, is the lesson that Jesus... And the wilderness is trying to tell us is simply this there's a lot of different ways to get bumped off the path. But the one way, regardless of whether the temptations that are in there that are mentioned or not come your way, whether they're different, it really comes down to two simple things that you're able to admit number one, that there is a God, and number two, you're not Him. That number one, that you are not enough to make things happen, and number two, that He's willing to provide all things for you. If you're willing to trust Him, you'll have more peace in your life. And that's what I want to pray for right now um, that God would help you. you are, if you are not in a wilderness, you're headed there. They're unavoidable in life, they're unavoidable. But God wants you to know the way of the Lord through the wilderness so that you, you can be on the right path and still, even though you don't like it, be in the right place in the wilderness. It's the place where God removes all distractions and it's just you and him. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you that we can be in the right place with you. And that's first what we do. We just want to say, we want to be right with you vertically. Um, I wouldn't pick the wilderness. I wouldn't pick this place. But, But God, you in your wisdom know how to shape us and to build character in us because it's a lot of weight and a lot of pain to carry a cross and each of us is called to carry our cross and to bear our crown of thorns to live like you did and lord i thank you that you weren't a cheap sell off you weren't a cheap knock off but you were the you were god almighty you could have turned the stones into into bread you could have bypassed the devil and taken, uh, you could add a hostile takeover of the world. You, you could have impressed and re-impressed everybody over and over again, but that wasn't the path. God, right now we, we need a realignment of our life with the path. Lord, forgive us if we've wandered from that. Lord, you, you know, Lord that, you know, the areas that can distract us, they can actually be a good thing but yet bringing us to a, to a bad place. And I just pray for everyone that's listening, everyone that's watching, everybody that's here, that you would help us to, to, to do inventory in our spirit. Forgive us for our wanderings, Lord, but God, thank you. There's ne- there's, it's never too late for us to be on the right path, to get back on that path. And Lord, the wilderness is just a season. And so we wanna say to you this morning, we trust you. You not only provide a table for us in the wilderness, you provide us a table in the presence of our enemies. We love you. We yield to you. We surrender to you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. What do you say? Go back to your desert. (laughs) Go with God. God bless you. You Thank you again for being with us today to listen to all of our messages follow us on apple podcasts youtube and spotify and go to LowellAg.org or ne-cc.org to keep up with all of our news updates and events thank you and god bless